0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
1: Well, actually, I believe it was big swinging dicks. So there was obviously an
0: overexcited imagination on the part of some I would suggest. Because if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. I love the mansplaining. I'm enjoying it. What's mansplaining, Senator? Welcome to In the House and In the Senate. I'm Alicia Aiken-Radburn, and we're talking to women in Australian politics about who they are, what they do, and why it matters. Georgia Tree works as a policy advisor for Madeleine King, Labour's shadow minister for trade and resources in the Australian federal parliament. Georgia is a political activist, unionist, and feminist. Georgia completed her Bachelor of Arts with honours, majoring in creative writing in 2013, and a Masters of International Relations and National Security at Curtin University in 2020. Georgia is intimidatingly intelligent. This year, she was shortlisted for the Fogarty Literary Award for her manuscript Old Boy, which tells her father Grant's story. And in her spare time, Georgia runs a feminist book club, of which I am a member, but as of yet have not finished one of the allocated books. Thank you for joining me, Georgia. I'll start by asking what I ask at the top end of every episode. Um, you are a policy advisor for Madeleine King, Labour's shadow minister for trade and resources in federal parliament. What's a day-to-day look
1: like for you? It obviously varies wildly, which I'm sure everyone has said to you up until this point. Um, in parliament, it will be getting her papers together her being Madeline, my boss, um, rocking up before she gets there, making sure everything is ready to go. If there's legislation on the table um, in our portfolio area, that will be carriage. Uh, I will have carriage of that rather. Um, So there will be a submission to write. There will be briefing notes to put together for Madeline and her colleagues. Um, If she needs to go take a photo with a puppy. I need to be there with a camera. Uh, If she needs a coffee, I'll get one. Um, Sometimes she gets me coffees. It's, yeah, yeah, I need to make sure she's in the right spot at the right time basically and, and be there if she has any questions. Do you like it? Do you like the job? I do, yeah, I do. What
0: about trade and resources? Tell me about trade and resources because I think for me, you know, we're friends outside the political bubble and I've always been very impressed <laughs> that you are into what are pretty hectic policy
1: areas. Like well, some would say dry policy yeah, areas. Yeah, I think that was the <laughs> word I was looking for. <laughs> um, funnily enough, I put my hand up to go do this course at the London School of Economics on, on trade development and the environment before Madeline got the trade portfolio. So it was so weird because everyone thought... I'd done it for the job, and funnily enough, I am just interested in it. So there must be something wrong with me. And resources, I mean, you know now that you've moved to Western Australia, but it's in the blood. My parents met in the Pilbara. My mum was working at Woodside. My dad worked at Hammersley Iron, so that's gas and iron ore. Um, and they met at a pub where my dad was playing in a band, and if they weren't there, I wouldn't be here right now. So that's because of Whitlam Ending the export restrictions, so all of it relates to trade. So it was all
0: trade, all resources, and it was always going to be. Was it always going to be labour? I want to take you to what we've known each other for quite a while now, and I'm trying to I'm trying to pinpoint where we actually met. Was it? I think
1: it was national
0: conference in 2015. Okay. So when we say national conference, is that, was that the National Union of Students conference? Yes.
1: This is like, the,
0: remember the riot? <laughs> oh my God. This is like the pinnacle of nerdiness, just to sort of get all of our listeners onto the same page. It's like a bunch of student politicians, the best or the worst people. <laughs> university depending on whether you're a student politician or not um, and basically we would go on to what we would call conference floor we would debate whatever we, we debated everything from trade and resources to things that probably more directly affect students um, but so that's where we met and we were both involved in student politics. And I think
1: you'll remember the issue of the day was parallel import restrictions, which oh is trade God. as well. <laughs> so it was always a passion for <laughs> trade. Yes. What is the parallel import restriction again? This is how to make textbooks cheaper. It by
0: seems like it. I, I remember seems... being very passionate about it at the time. <laughs> I can't say the same anymore.
1: But how do we make sure that the printmakers stay in their jobs? So, you know, it's nuanced. <laughs>
0: What drew you to, I mean, firstly, politics, and then tell me about your experience in student
1: politics and joining the Labor Party? So it was always going to be Labor for me um, with, you know, mentioning the Pilbara where my parents met. My dad was an operator at Hammersley Iron, so he was in the AW, the Australian Workers Union. The first union, the Shear- originally the Shearer's Union, which is where the Labor Party comes from. So John Curtin was in the AW um, and Alana McTinnan, very important. Uh, the two key Labor yeah, yeah, figures. Yes. The, the <laughs> two icons, uh, West Australian icons. So um, basically it was always growing up, it, the conversations at the – I like to say the dinner table, but, you know, we're working class, we ate in front of the TV, um, was about unionism, um, John Howard – and unfairness you know um the children overboard and the republic the republic vote that was 1999 that's probably the first time i remember having a conversation with someone down the road um wherein they were going to vote a different way they were voting no we were voting yes and i remember thinking what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean someone has a different opinion um so it was so that was just Part of us growing up, like with labour values, working class values, I suppose, going to a public school and being publicly educated, having really amazing teachers, um, reading Animal Farm in year ten yes. and, and learning about the Soviet Union and thinking, wow, like there's just so much out there in the in the political space. It's so interesting. Um, Kevin Rudd getting elected in two thousand seven. Uh, we're the same age, so yeah, yeah. Um, it's what- so
0: interesting to hear you. Recall all of these moments in history because I've I've probably never had a conversation with someone that is, you know, exactly my age and talking about what brought us to politics and so many of the moments that you mention were similarly defining in my life. So what what happened? Not to mention Merlin
1: on Big Brother, free to refugees. Me,
0: yeah, huge. I remember sitting down with my mum and we were big on Big Brother. And I just thought that that was you want to you want to talk about an activist,
1: Merlin. Where Huge. Is, where is Merlin? Where now? is Merlin? We, we should to, we should pre-select Merlin. I should get him on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> actually, but actually, <laughs> um,
0: what took you from all of these, you know, very impactful moments, Merlin, the Republic vote, mostly Merlin, mostly Merlin. <laughs> what took you from these moments to? you know, turning up at – was it uni for you? Did you rock up and you saw the Labor Party stall and you were like, yeah, i got to be a part of that? Yeah,
1: actually, no, near nearly the opposite. So I – my first tranche of university, my undergrad, I was still, you know, living in the outer suburbs, like a very suburban existence. I very rarely hung around at uni. I remember – and this is something that's been like a real – um Eye opener, for me, I suppose, is the difference between the middle and the working class is that a lot of middle class Western suburbs people who go to UWA and hang out all the time, like had all this time to do all this guild stuff. Mm-hmm. And my friends and I were like, I was working at Outback Jacks in Rockingham with a with a cowboy hat on at night. So I had to like get back on the train. Oh. It took me an hour to get back home after uni. So I wasn't really politically involved per se, Um during my entire undergrad. And then my brother um, did a mature age course at UWA and he sort of did an internship with the Labor Party and I got involved sort of that way. And I remember coming back to do postgrad, some friends of Callan's, my brother, um, were setting up the Curtin Labor Club and essentially they asked me... um, they needed founding members and they needed, you know, numbers. And at this point I was a member of the party um, having just helped out at elections here and there. And I said, um, yeah, sure, I'll do what you need me to do, but I'm not going to be one of those um, pissants that stand at university and hand out flyers. And they said, we can't promise that that won't happen, but sure. And did it happen? <laughs> um, yeah, like absolutely. Once, once I had my foot in the door and, you know, you end up finding out about Guild elections and, you know, you need it. A- Take one for the team. I definitely handed out some how to vote cards for one of how the. How do you find
0: that aspect of the political experience? Because obviously, it's the issues that draw us in initially. But I wonder if you share any of my feelings that once I, once I got involved in an election, whether it was a student election or a
1: state election. It sort of captured me in some sort of way. There's something about campaigning. It's like a drug. I don't know what it was. Like, in the last state um, election, for example, the Malgowan slide, like, I didn't work on it because I've been working federally and I had the biggest FOMO not being in in there it's just it's really like it's like I guess playing a team sport it's you know it's and trying to win the grand final like it's you're you're with these people constantly night and day it's all you're talking about um it's just the thrill of the campaign trail is something else I think um people never really understand and it's like playing a team sport, but it's so much more than that as well because you are so invested in it. You really do think your team's going to make um, such a difference to people's lives, so there's so much riding on it. And not to mention, especially if you're working on someone's campaign, it might be um, their livelihood on the line if they're potentially going to lose their yes. seat if they don't win. Like, there's a lot, and you might know their entire family. And, um, yeah, it's it's really um, emotional there's a lot of adrenaline. Like, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I know you are too. And I think that's got – that. there must be some dopamine. I don't know what oh, the science is behind it, but – Like, I'm also a collectivist
0: junkie, I think. Yeah. Like, I get off on shared experiences and there is just something. And, you know, I think it is the fact that underlying all of the adrenaline, there is this overriding belief and faith that what you're doing is really important. Um, and I think, you know, that – that can vary from election to yeah. election, depending who you're campaigning for. But it's, it's a cult. Yeah. It's a cult. <laughs> in some ways, yes. <laughs> um, what were the steps between you handing out those how-to-votes how in- on campus and now you're a policy advisor to a shadow minister?
1: Yeah. So essentially, I was working at the Cancer council Council, um, finishing my – well, Working on my masters, which ended up taking a lot longer than I thought it would, but sort of yeah, part time studying, blah blah blah, um, and doing relief in different offices. And then um, on the, my brother was working for Gary Gray, who was the member for Brand at the time and the Shadow Minister for Resources, and he retired. And um, around the time, I was asked as a local elector to um, put my name down to nominate Madeline King, who would be his successor. And so I got to meet her through that uh, and then I worked on her campaign doing field organising like, you know, every young labour person does, um, doing that, the grunt work on the ground, door knocking and, and um, volunteering like that. And then um, she won quite convincingly and asked me to work for her from there. So I started working um, for her as her Canberra, you know, travel companion essentially, <laughs> PA essentially doing all the diary stuff, admin, um, yeah, and just sort of work from there. Like funnily enough, she she kept getting promoted, and then I kept getting cr- promoted. It was like, oh, now she's um, an assistant shadow minister so she needs someone to do policy and then I did that and did a bit of media and then she got um promoted again when we unfortunately didn't win the last election and um got into the shadow cabinet and um, ended up with a trade portfolio which is when I'd just gotten back from London and had experience in trade so it just worked um perfectly for me to step up again and um do that policy grunt work and yeah it's we So we've worked together for five years, which is
0: what's, kind of rare. What's that personal relationship like? Because I don't think that people who haven't been, who aren't so privy to politics really realise just how intimately politicians are working with their staff. And I think that that can be quite intimidating as a young person to go into an office where you've got, like, you know, one, a fully-fledged adult, but also a member of parliament... As your boss, and you're you're working so directly and intimately with them. What's that experience been like?
1: Yeah, it's very different. It's it is like the you know the receptionist, for example, having one-on-one contact with the CEO. Like there's nothing, there's no middle management. I suppose so. It can be quite intimidating. I remember relieving um, for Gary when my brother was working there, and he was rarely in the office. And when he was in the office, it was like this vibe: like, oh my god, the boss is here. Yeah. Um, and Gary's lovely, but it's intimidating, as you can imagine. But for me, working for Madeline now, it's like it's very complicated, I suppose. But in a lot of ways, we're friends yeah. and and um, and yeah, comrades. You know, there's things that I, there's things that we help each other with. You know, like she's still my boss, and um, you know, I I respect that, and I respect her, and she's a lot more experienced than me, and brings so much to the table from um, the university sector and her legal expertise and stuff. But then there's things in the party politics side of things that I help her with because I have those relationships I have those networks um so it's interesting it's not it's just not normal I don't know how else to describe it that and you're so you're so wrapped up in their life because you spend so much time on the road with them like you know you get to know their family I know her mom I know you know her husband obviously and her Um, her extended family, her nephew, you know, because you just, and she knows my family, you know, my dad's out there on election day, so, and he pops into the office, and so it, yeah, it's very, um, it's like a big family, I suppose. Now, we casually dropped the word
0: cult just earlier, yeah, and, you know, I don't think that that is I don't think that's inaccurate to describe politics and party politics particularly. I think a lot of, like, I think why we are drawn towards the word cult is because everyone is very invested. But I, and I wonder if this connection is a bit strenuous, but I think that like cults, um, being so invested and being in such close proximity to people can foster some negative cultural things to arise and I think that we've seen that this year. Um, Let's talk about parliamentary culture. I think like, I think you, like me, it's been a very jarring year for staffers. It's been a very hard year for staffers. You work in Parliament House and in March this year you organised a sit-in in Parliament House's meditation room and that was triggered by the stories coming to light of, and, you know, there's no way to put this nicely or diplomatically, of male staffers masturbating over female member of Parliament's desks. Uh tell me about organising that sit-in. I thought that that was so incredibly powerful, particularly uh, watching it unfold from the perspective of another female, a former female staffer in Parliament House, and how when you see this stuff come to light, it can feel very disempowering. And I was, I'm wondering, tell me about that sit-in and what, I'm fucking brave, to be honest.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um. Thank you. Oh, where do I start? Uh, it all, you know, there was such. It was it was such a big build up. I think to that moment, like there was. It started in November with the Four Corners about Tudge and Porter, right? And that that was sort of a trigger. And I think the fact that that happened and that it didn't spur a conversation internally for for us for us as staffers that it didn't it didn't spur anything any sort of reasonable change I mean tudge at least admitted to it and apologized to his wife I suppose but Porter denied it and then you know um, the rest is history with Porter obviously everything is sort of um, cascaded out from that story since and I won't really go there but that was sort of the first um, shot out of the shot of the bow I suppose when um, when that aired, and I didn't feel like it, there was a, an appropriate reaction to it um, in terms of staffer safety. Like one of the things that really struck me was there's this severe power imbalance, which is inherent in, in her job, and there's some and part of that is hard to fix and maybe impossible to fix because, of course, we're working for elected members of parliament who need to have this power because that's the representative democracy and that's the model that we work within and it's the best we've got, you know, in, to butcher Churchill. But um, And I understand that, but there, there is clearly a duty of care for those members of parliament um, to not try to fuck their staff, right? Yes. Like, it's like they're a teacher or a tutor at a university, like there should be this Um, duty of care there where it's inappropriate and the fact that this clearly inappropriate conduct was happening but um, unabated was really upsetting I suppose and yes it felt quite powerless and um, it's and and you would know like the culture of of party political culture is like you as a staffer you need to stay silent like you're not meant to have a voice you're not meant to make any waves which is very disempowering. So so already this, this powerlessness of um, sexual harassment essentially in the workplace is happening, further compounded by the fact that we're not allowed to talk about it because of this uh, silence. Um, this, this unspoken
0: p- rule that you're not going to detract from what the uh, – big players are doing yeah the the brand the brand you gotta protect
1: the brand and um which you know circling back to the cult thing like it's like the catholic church right like we don't want to taint the brand so let's deal with everything in house and everyone just shut up and especially like from the labor's labor's position because it was you know somewhat of a government problem it's like oh don't 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 make any fuss from our side because, like, look, the government's shooting itself in the foot and it's like, hello, guys, like as if it's not happening here. That is
0: one of the most problematic things to me that I was so struck by, Um, you know, that it's sort of come to light through news articles since that – There are spaces online where parties organise. So for the Labour Party, there's a Labour staffer alumni group. And some of the conversations within that group and the polarising reactions of people who have, like, uh, you know, some people have got lived experience and a very intimate understanding of how these power dynamics work, read, female staffers. And you've got, like, these literal old men being, like, you know – One, either being like, look over there, look at the Liberal Party, don't bring light to us, or just actually being delusional and thinking that it doesn't happen in our party. Yeah.
1: Somehow it's, yeah, it's their problem and not our problem, which, yeah, which anyone with a brain knows is not the case. Just like like there's corruption all over, right? Mm -hmm. Like we get upset that... Um, the Libs point at the unions and say the unions are corrupt and blah, 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 and, and you know, we'll, we'll start a royal commission into the unions. But there is some corruption there, of course, because it's human nature, mm-hmm. like there's corruption in the police force, like there's corruption in the Department of Communities, for <laughs> yes. God's sake, right, yep. as is sexual assault and sexual harassment. It's everywhere and there's no one is immune to it. And so coming back to your question about the sit-ins, so obviously that was the sort of precursor and there was this bubbling... Uh, discontent, I think, and not just me, um, a lo- among Labor staff at least, and of course the coalition staff from what limited interaction I do have with people on that side. Everyone was kind of upset. Um, and then Brittany, obviously coming out, was just amazing. And and as I said, I think in a press conference around that time, like it was like she broke the fourth wall. You know, yeah. when you're watching a film, and then all of a sudden they're they're looking right at you and speaking to you, and it was like, bang, we have a voice. Of course, we have a voice. And I suppose um, on a personal level, I'm you know I'm a union member. We've talked about unionism quite a bit already. Um, I thought like when when someone dies on a construction site, bang, the the CFMEU are there. They've got um, crisis counsellors there. You know, if Crown is doing a restructure, they bring in all these psychologists to speak to the people who are being made redundant. Like trauma can be managed and someone was raped in our workplace and nothing happened. Like we just kept going to work the next day. Like nothing happened. The union didn't even rock up it took a while to even hear from them and um and look and I know now they're doing a lot of work into the Jenkins inquiry and um i'm i don't want to discount the work that they do do but i felt again like does anyone give a shit about us? I don't feel like anyone cares. And then, of course, the MPs, they have a platform. Mm-hmm. They get to go to question time and ask questions and, and air their grievances and go on 7.30 and talk about it and and have their, you know, Twitter following. and and But they're not the ones experiencing this very particular, you know, powerlessness, mm-hmm. silence um, that people like Brittany and the rest of us have. So it, I just felt like why why aren't we being brought into this conversation yeah. how do we how do we show that we're not going to we're not going to stand for it we're not going to take it right like it's just like i've had enough and that's how i felt like we were talking and i said i just want to go to the kingo right now and have a beer because fuck this place yeah. like i can't believe we're just rocking up to work where someone's been raped in the workplace and we we just need to pretend it didn't happen like And tell me about the
0: sit-in itself. When you took that step, what did that actually look like? Like I was obviously as your friend following what the organising that you were doing but in Parliament House walking up to the meditation room which was referenced in these reports as, you know, like people fucking in there, which is not like that's probably one of the least sort of um, heinous aspects, yeah, of yeah. The, the whole everything that has come out, but walking up to the meditation room and doing the sit-in, how did that feel?
1: And how did that play out that day? So, um, I, it, it was—I was nervous, I suppose, in the morning. I, like, so first of all, like my boss the day before said, like, I would totally under- understand if you guys want to strike or if you want to take industrial action because. It's bullshit. So I was very lucky that I I had the full support of her, so I didn't feel in that way that I was doing the wrong thing. Um, but of course, you feel nervous, and as you said, like it's it. You know, there's there's. I always make make this claim like you put one foot forward in the Labour Party and you're going to step on someone's toes right like no matter what you do it's going to be controversial um because everyone has their own opinion and everyone has an ego so I knew it was going to make waves um but and you know I'd sort of heard that some people felt like they couldn't go you know there were some people who messaged me and said like all power to you but um I can't be there so, I mean, firstly, we didn't even know where the room was. I vaguely <laughs> knew where it was, like, near the mural hall. <laughs> I'm like, I've heard stories and I think it's in this weird room, but um, we're going to have to check it out. Uh, yeah, and it was crazy. Like, we got the, – so there were a few of us core people and we got in a lift and then, like, other people would come, like, people who are more senior, like, women, um, you know, from different places, like, around the country who you just would think, like, probably would – you know maybe i maybe i just assumed would think what we're doing was silly or very yes. like you know be of the old school which yeah. is like you never do that and they were still coming up with us and i thought that's really great and, yeah, and then we walked in and I was thinking it's just going to be like us five in this lift, you know, but it'll be fun. We'll just sit there for a bit. And it's and it, it's going to be important to you guys. Yeah, exactly. It's still taking a stand, yeah. right? Like I'd posted on that um, Women's Staff and Network Facebook group the day before and people knew about it and I thought, look, I've given people an opportunity and even if it's just five of us and we can talk about how we feel, that will be important and cathartic. And then, yeah, we walked in and it was insane. There were, like, 20 people already there. People kept coming through and then um, journalists were coming through and, you know, camera crews and and phenomenal. And then Senator Lydia Thorpe rocked up so at some point. So, yeah, it was just amazing. It was, like, I was blown away and I hadn't really prepared anything as well. And, of course, my coworker Jacinta's like, uh, George I think you should probably say something cuz everyone's just standing around like vibing it it was really cool um yeah and and then I did and I just rattled off like um this is how we feel and and yeah and and honestly it was really amazing and um I I have got minimal blowback from it I I was thinking I'm going to be in this shit any right?
0: blowback like even or do you like is it a case of that, that thing where you never really hear it, but it's probably there's a few like CNX Tuesdays out there who yeah, yeah, are like yeah.
1: saying their piece to. I'm sure that the conversations were happening outside of my reach, right? But like personally, what like people who contacted me and like and said that they were happy with what I did, um, that there's plenty of those out there. And and people, like, worried about me and asking yeah. f- about me. Like, Tanya Plibersek reached out that week, for example, just to say, like, are you okay? Because yeah. this is horrible. And that it's kind of like the furor around the sit-in almost distracted me from the main gripe, which was, like, hey, this is fucked, like, yeah. <laughs> how well, are we being treated so badly? And it's just, you know, it was a bit of a distraction, if anything. But, um, yeah, so much support, uh, so much support. Like, I I was um, – st- I, I, and I still am blown away by how many people were touched by it. Even, like, the press gallery were a phenomenal. So many women um, in media outlets reached out to me and said, like, thank you for what you've done yeah. because, yeah, it was like the MPs had the floor, pretty much, mm-hmm. and it was just one – um, voice for so long and 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 a lot of weight on Brittany's shoulders I think yes. as well and I just if anything it was to show her like we're with there you are, yes we're with Thank you, you.
0: that so I think like as you pointed out before I think what has been really tough to grapple with um has been that stretch of time between that first four corners report in November Up until now, where so much of that stretch of time, it was seeming like nothing was happening. And I can't even imagine how it would feel to be a woman currently working in the halls of power with not even... An email. Now, since November, we've seen a couple of things happen. We've seen—I uh, know—a big one for me was the uh, support line that's opened up for staffers. I think that's really important. And just reflecting on my own experience in in Parliament, um, I actually messaged Brittany and I said, even just having that helpline is such an important step because I know I would have needed that helpline when I was working in Parliament House and I am so – it gave me such a wave of relief to know that a young woman working in Parliament House now has a direct line to speak to somebody. The other major thing that we've seen is what we call the Jenkins Review, which is what the Australian Human Rights Commission review into parliamentary workplaces Mm -hmm. and – You've put in a written submission. I've, I've spoken to them over Zoom, um, the lovely people at the Human Rights Commission, and they were great. My experience was great. Um, the submissions to that review closed this Saturday, the 31st of July. Georgia, tell me a little bit about your experience with the review, because for me personally, and I wonder if this is shared by you, for me, it felt like in the same way as you got that wave of feeling... Okay, I, I'm finally making my voice heard in the sit-in. For me being able to just talk to some people and be like, "Look, this is what this is what I experienced. This is what I think could make it a little bit better." Um, that was what I was waiting for.
1: Yeah, totally. So um, I, I keep joking to my mates like I was the one who made Scomo you know move on this yes. issue because up up until the sit-in, he hadn't even spoken to his own staff. And then they had this crisis staff meeting later that day. And I thought, oh, wow, like, well done, mate, you know. Um, But funnily enough, so I have co-written my submission with Josh Burns, the member for McNamara, um, because around the Four Corners time, so late last year, um, we had a bit of a staff meeting. And, you know, it inevitably came up about the Four Corners and about issues with women. And, you know, as I said in the lead up. Um, th- these were all bubbling around, and I spoke to Josh, and I said, "Look, I really want you and myself to work together, um, just because I know you've been a staffer, you've worked, you've worked here, and you've done it. You've been on the other side, and then now you're a leader, and so you know you have a lot to offer in terms yeah. of advocating for us inside the caucus." And he was fantastic and we had a really good chat and, you know, and then, of course, so much, you, there was so much water under the bridge from that moment, right, that, you know, Brittany happened and then Desk Wanker happened, the sit-in <laughs> happened. And I sort of popped in just to chat to Josh um, recently and he said, by the way, how's everything going? And he checked back in with me. Like, what, what can I do because I'm still waiting for instruction from you? And I sort of said, yeah, similarly to you, oh, I got what I wanted, which was the Jenkins review. Like, this is all I wanted for, yes. for like, to have some sort of recourse, for us to actually put forward um, genuine, palpable options for change, right? I, I was also, like, this is it.
0: I also wanted as well to be able to – I wanted an outlet that doesn't put the pressure on women to disclose really fucking traumatic shit in the media because I was close. Like, yeah. I, I was – You know, like so many other staffers, I was talking to people through the sort of period of the WA state election in March where there were a lot of sort of staffers around chatting and it's like a hive of activity in WA. Um, And I was just like, you know, if this is... It feels like the only way to get your voice heard is if you do something radical and disclose to a media
1: outlet, and that's kind of fucking shit. Yeah, yeah, it's lose lose. I mean, if you look at Britney, she's been through so much now, and um, it takes a lot to do what she's done, and some people don't just don't feel like they have the power, or maybe yeah. they don't even even have the financial means to yeah. to deal with potentially losing their job over it. So, yeah, absolutely. So – and I think that was a lot of work done internally um, in – labour circles about ensuring that confidentiality aspect of the Jenkins um, review and that um, amendment sort of There was a period of time where there was some fears
0: that basically people's submissions could be FOI'd and they wouldn't be like fully redacted or the way in which they would be redacted would be like well, you sort of know
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly (laughs) So that's definitely important and I agree but yeah, absolutely, to have some an independent review, some genuine recourse and onto your reporting what you said before about reporting as well I mean we because we have been talking about this for months and sort of I had this had convened a sort of loose group of staffers who were interested um since November last year um, to talk about stuff like this and um sort of options for changing it and and you know in the UK like there's literally they have a website and it's like you can click I've been harassed by A, a staff member. B, a member of parliament. C, a a lord, you know, and, like, you can do that. (laughs) There's There's recourse there because it happens. Immediate
0: recourse and also I think the power, well, I'm hoping the power of the Jenkins Review when they report is, I am hoping, and this is relevant to the fact that submissions close the 31st, so if you are a female staffer listening to this and you have not yet submitted, I'm telling you that you have something if, like, just just you, you have worked in these workplaces, use your voice, tell the submission how what your opinion is. Um, the volume of experiences, I really hope that the Jenkins Review, because just as a staffer, I feel like we all informally feel that basically, <laughs> like, so many women that I've worked with have had an experience, whether it is... And I, I've, I ha- still haven't landed on the right way to articulate this, but whether it's like microaggressions, whether it's these sm- sort of smaller examples of toxic culture in workplaces, gendered <laughs> behaviour, um, all the way up to, you know, um, things like Brittany Higgins experienced. I think I am hoping that it's representative of the volume of experiences. Tell me a little bit about what you included in your submission.
1: Yeah, so um, important in this, which is um, why working with Josh Burns on it was really important. Was um, of course, like not to diminish in any way the women's experience, and you know, I, I don't think I need to explain myself on that matter. But bullying is a huge one as well, as you say, and um, there's toxic masculinity and. And how that affects men in the workplace as well and, and anyone who is, um, you know, experiencing an extreme power imbalance. Um, and so what Josh and I sort of found and the main, the main sort of vibe, I suppose, of our, of our submission is that experiences can vary wildly depending on who your boss is and how do we bridge that gap structurally yes. to ensure that workplaces are safe and fair for employees which they should be in Australia as a first world country, right, with a rule of law. So um, we go into sort of detail. So, yeah, breaking it down into one of the terms of reference of the inquiry was just about incidences of um, sexual harassment, assault and bullying. And so that's we've sort of segmented it into those three and, and gone into the background about it a bit more about, as we were talking before, about the culture um <clears throat> structural and cultural barriers to reporting and how that can sort of be um, addressed. And our three recommendations, um, number one is to have a dedicated human resources person. Yes,
0: I think that this has got to be the, like, common strand through so many people's conversations with the Jenkins Review, is that it is unbelievable that there is no HR at Parliament House. Yeah. It's beyond belief. Like, it's just... Ridiculous. When I was chatting to them about the HR element, I think what – and, you know, I wish I was probably a little bit more prepped. Like, I wish I had done a written submission, but I just didn't – like, I, I didn't have the energy. I'm, like, much more of a conversationalist, but I just You're didn't – You're a Kathy. It. I am a chatty Cathy, <laughs> hence the podcast. But I just – I was trying to work through it while I was literally on this, like, Microsoft Teams meeting with them. I was trying to work through this barrier of like, okay, the recommendation is to have a dedicated HR person. Wow, like revelation should be a thing. How do you get past, let's say I'm working like the Labor Party, any political party, it's like loyalty is number one, elections are number one. How do you get past that reporting barrier where it's like you are going to be undermining your boss or you are going to be putting your boss at risk let's say electorally or within their own party um how how did you did you guys discuss that element very yeah.
1: much so stru- like structurally we sort of suggested having a human resources person as a part of party status so once you're a party status you you know there's um however many staff are allocated to you out of a general, you know, pool. And so that would mean that, you know, the coalition would have a human resources person. The Labor Party would have a human resources person out of the leader's office. In addition to what they currently get, the Greens would have one and and perhaps there would be an independent one for the independents. Um, So structurally you would have someone to speak to yourself rather than this departmental person who doesn't really understand... Um, the the context, then nuances. So I think that that goes some way um, to alleviating some of those pressures. But I think a lot of those, as you've talked about, are cultural. And until we change the culture, that's not going to change. Like, it doesn't matter if you have everything at your disposal, like every possible uh, recourse or, you know, reporting mechanism. If you feel like you'll you'll be socially ostracized, which is impossible to manage from your your peers. If you speak up, then you're not gonna speak up.
0: Yeah. That's so that's a bigger problem. One, but that's it? why I
1: think Yeah, which is why I think which is kind of how I sort of summed up my submission is like we need to shine a light on this, a forensic light on this right now. Yeah. Because we need to just, you know you know, like funnily, like you would have people offhand say, oh God, like you know, we probably shouldn't go too hard on X because what about, like, the skeletons in our closet? And I'm thinking, like, no, fuck this those is the skeletons! Time this is the time the skeletons are coming up out people yeah like like rip them out yes if we lose a couple of people in the process in terms of um you know fucking cancel culture and they need to resign and so be it frankly like if they've done the wrong thing they've done the wrong thing i'm sorry but make room for someone who hasn't because there's plenty of good people out there before i take you to
0: your last two recommendations um Do you think that one thing that's also sort of struck me through this process, at least at the beginning, and I was talking to some of my friends who are coalition staffers and she made an offhand remark to me that was like, um, oh no, I feel like... I feel like the like tides are shifting in the sense that I can come out and say anything in the coalition in the Liberal Party now, and no one can fucking say shit. To be honest, yeah, I don't. I wonder if do you think the Labor Party's there yet?
1: Um, no. I well, I don't know. I don't. I I, I think that it's not because we haven't heard anything. I yes. think that if we had heard any heard something, then that would say it all, that would right? Be the tester. It mm. seems like people are still keeping quiet. I don't, but I don't know. Maybe the stories aren't out there, but you know, I think we both know they are. The last two recommendations. Sure. Um, so, firstly, is. MPs and senators to have uh, management training when when they're elected, and then refresher courses as they go along. So this addresses that, um, you know, unprofessionalism, I suppose, or and which leaks into the bullying, which is like they, you know, you could come in and and be anyone. You could you could be anyone. Um, you could be a. a you know, an Olympic basketballer and then be an MP a week later and you don't necessarily know how to manage staff. You don't necessarily know how to manage them in a professional capacity, let alone dealing with situations wherein perhaps they have been sexually assaulted in the workplace and how to deal with that. So... Which is insane, right? These people get paid shit tons of money. Yes. They have so much responsibility. There's so many things that they get set up on. Like they get they get a junket to, you know, go <laughs> to wherever the hell, Malaysia, yeah. to go like meet, you know, which is great. Like go meet with, do a cultural exchange. But like we don't have resources to give them a bit of a Proper training course on how to training. manage your four full-time staff that you get in an allocation. Yeah. So, so that's number one. That's number two, yes. rather. Um, and. So, which goes without saying, and I think a lot of people have, in, again, internally been pushing for this kind of stuff. There's so many people in the party who have been quietly putting their heads down, mm-hmm. pushing for this stuff for a long time. And I feel like sometimes I come in with this whirlwind, like, "Oh, haven't you thought about a?" Eh? And it's like, "What the <laughs> fuck, Georgia? We've been here, we've been here for decades doing this work, and you come in and do a sit-in and think you're fucking you know everything." But, but anyway, mean, like, there's different is sort of approach- the watershed moments. Yeah, so sometimes, maybe- yeah, ride right the way. Right. And also there's different approaches and mine is the loud one and it's working for me thus far. (laughs) Anyway. Um, And number three is consent training, mandatory consent training for everyone. MPs, senators, staff, security guards, everyone.
0: What do you think about this recent announcement and this podcast we we're recording this a little bit earlier but currently the news that is broke is
1: that there will be consent training but it will be optional. Optional and goes for an hour which yes. I I just I mean I I'm not you know I'm not well versed in how training sort of gets set up and and what sort of modules you'll need in some sort of consent training but I feel like it might be more than more an than hour an optional one hour. Yeah and and Sesh. optional is just bullshit. Yeah.
0: Um, let me close off our discussion. This has just been – I think that this is going to be one of the most valuable episodes of the series because I really think that this is – I think staffer voices are the voices that we need to centre at, right at the moment. Uh, the question I always leave the parliamentarians that I speak to with is what advice do you have for young women who are considering politics? Something that has really um, – made me nervous this year with everything from November, from the Four Corners, the first Four Corners report has been that young women who are going through uni or TAFE or wherever um, won't consider politics. They they want to make change, but they'll be like, oh, I'll go work for an NGO or something like that. What What's your advice to young women?
1: Yeah, which is fair enough. Like, um, and you know we all had those feelings like before i before the sit in i did feel like as i say w- walking out um because up until this point you know the nrl had a better sexual yes. assault policy than we did they
0: have like a the they have a stand down policy they have a they have a like in house gender um pers- policy
1: person Yeah, consultancy yes. yeah 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 i know unbelievable so i can understand um why people would feel apprehensive and women especially and young women would feel apprehensive about it. But I think the more of us there are, the better. The more um, conversations like this happen in the bowels of power is is super important. Like if we're not there, then no one's talking about it and, and it'll continue on like it has in the past. And and. Absolutely, the Labor Party has done such an incredible job with affirmative action, with getting to um, nearly 50% women um, in, you know, in leadership positions and in parliamentary positions, but what about every other position in the party, in the party machine and in, in staffing and things like that? The more of us in the room, and we know a lot of the work gets done by the staff in the room and it's sort of ticked off at the, at the end point, and the more women in that development phase, the better. What's next for you? Oh, I don't know. We working on the next election hopefully and and getting a labor government in power because we know how important it is for Australians and we I I want every Australian, every person in this country to have the opportunity to, to succeed and they can't do that without um a labor government that's invested in them. So working for the next Minister for
0: Trade and Resources. Well,
1: potentially depending on who it is we'll see um i'm not married to the idea of staying you know staffing for the rest of my life i know well, we might have to graduate to be a member of ah. ourselves
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much for joining me georgia it has been just an awesome conversation and you are awesome thanks love you <laughs> love you too <laughs> in the house and in the senate is recorded on the land of the wadjuk people This land was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. If you enjoyed this episode of In the House and In the Senate, please jump into your podcast app, subscribe, and give me a quick rating and review. This will help the podcast reach more people and I will personally be incredibly grateful. Also, be sure to head over to the podcast Instagram at In the House, In the Senate, where I'll be sharing content from our guests, Throwbacks to my time in staffing and resources to help you get more involved in the political system. You can also follow my personal account at alicia.akenradburn. Thanks for listening and speak to you next week.
1: Bye bye. Goodbye to you. Bye. Next question. <laughs> See ya.